Welcome back to the All Things Basketball Podcast, everybody. This is the first episode of the regular season. Super excited. We have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, just kind of giving you a intro to the episode, as I always do, so you know kind of what's going on, uh, besides the title of the show and the show notes. Uh, but yes, this one is not going to be, obviously, there was a million games over the course of the last couple of days. Um, I watched a specific amount of games, and those are the ones, obviously, that I'm going to be talking about in this episode. Um, I'm going to try to cover as much as I can, uh, but I did watch, obviously, the Miami Heat-Chicago Bulls season opener, which I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, not too much in depth about it, but I do want to give some interesting pieces and things that I think uh, are things that should be addressed, even after just game one of 82 of the regular season. I also watched the Sixers Boston Celtics season opener uh right after that obviously the Lakers versus Warriors season opener. Um you know, that was also a funny but uh awesome and entertaining game to watch. Um uh, you know, just kind of want to talk about uh those three games that I did happen to catch as well as some other things that might catch my eye as well. Uh, but yeah, let's get right into it. Awesome uh, season opener. Uh, start to the regular season. A lot of things to talk about. A lot of things that people are overreacting to as always. A lot of the same things that we see every single season and people tend to forget, <laughs> you know, um, these are things that I find myself repeating over and over to, you know, friends and family or whatever it is, whenever there's a conversation, conversation about the start of the regular season, you know, the first week, the first couple of games. Um, and what I mean by this is, you know, before I get into all the topics that I mentioned earlier, uh, there is one little thing that I wanted to add to this episode and that's, you know. People are making a huge deal about Utah beating the Denver Nuggets, basically just absolutely like dominating the Nuggets. And people are thinking, wow, uh, Nuggets are pretenders. They're, you know, bad start to the season. Utah already looks like they're going to be a good young team. They're going to win more games than expected. That's where I have to come in here and add something that I didn't want to have to add to the pod, but because... This is the start of regular season and my first regular season of coverage for the pod. I do have to address this and let you guys know what I always tell people that are giving these crazy takes, right? Uh, guys, every single year, you can look back in the history of the NBA. Every single year, as soon as the season starts, the first couple of games... The young lottery teams, the teams that we know are going to be bad, they start off, uh, I'm not saying all of them, but you do get a couple of those that start off the first few games on a high win-loss ratio, right? Like they win, they, they get to a hot start, but it's like a really short hot start. It'll be like the first three to four to five, maybe even the first 10 games, right? They're above 500, they win some unexpected games that people predict they should be losing, this is a product of young teams being in shape, ready for games uh, right away in the beginning. The vet teams don't come in as good shape as the younger teams that are that are going to be scrapping 
uh, as the season goes on and fall to the lottery. This happens every season. Uh, those teams come back to earth. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really something that I caution people about saying, right? Like, but that's the little small piece that I wanted to talk about when it came to that. You know, these young teams that are going to be bad start off nicely uh, because they're just in better shape to start the season. Uh, and then they come back to earth and suck for the rest of the year. But nonetheless, so I want to talk about obviously in order, right? So we had Sixers Celtics, right? A lot of things to talk about, right? Um, obviously, the Celtics have no Robert Williams, no Ime Udoka. Uh, so it's the first time seeing Joe Masula coach the Boston Celtics. And I know it's only game one, and I'm probably overreacting to it, but it looks like he has this team where he wants it, right? And in the huddles, he definitely looks like he's in control of the team. You know, I like the energy. I like the grip he has on this on this group. Now, it's just game one. It could be just, you know, the honeymoon stage where, you know, teams are all happy. Everyone's all good because it's the start of the season, right? The beef can't start so soon. So, uh, but I, I liked what I saw. You know, side hypothetical here. <laughs> if Boston makes the finals with Joe Masula as the coach and they win, there's no way Ime Yudoka keeps the job, right? <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> that's just a side hypothetical. I'm obviously overreacting, but I'm just giving you a hypothetical. You know, uh, the Celtics look good. Um, you know, they look like they're right where they left off, um, even though it's just one game. You know, uh, they played at home, you know, they did the Bill Russell, rest in peace, you know, they honored him, obviously, before the game, during the game, uh, they're going to be wearing, obviously, uh, you know, some some memory of him on the jersey, and, you know, they're playing with that chip on their shoulder because of losing in the finals, so, you know, um, they're but Boston's playing much faster, right, they're more decisive with the ball, they're getting right into some action as soon as the ball is caught by anyone, and that makes you harder to guard. You know, if you're Joe Masula, though, you got to be pissed in the beginning of the game, right, uh, for fouling Harden on three-point attempts as much as they did, right? It was, there was a lot of three-point shot fouls by the Celtics, right? Now, the Celtics started the game hot and in control, and it gave me a reminder of what the struggles were for this team throughout last season and the postseason, right? Like, shooting themselves in the foot. Right, fouling on three pointers, turning the ball over, uh, making dumb mistakes, not getting, not not making the right decisions. Um, but obviously, they win the game. They it was like a back and forth game, right? They they would exchange leads, they would give up leads, they'd come back. It was it was a fun game to watch, um, but you could kind of see the collapse of of the Sixers and then kind of reverting back to being the kind of team that people expect them to be with Harden at the helm. In terms of like just ISO, stagnant offense, not a lot of movement, not getting back on defense. A lot of the things that paint the picture as to why uh, a lot of people probably aren't high on the Sixers right now. Side note about the Celtics, Malcolm Brogdon already looking like what we expect of him, right? Bucket getter, solid production, crunch time guy, just does what needs to be done with or without the ball. These are all the things I've talked about, about Malcolm Brogdon. But again, zero question about the ability with Malcolm Brogdon. That is not something that people are debating. We know he's good. We know he's solid. We know he was a great pickup for the Celtics. 
It's about availability. Can he stay healthy? You know, you're probably going to hear me say that all year long uh, whenever talking about the Celtics, whenever it is. But that's really the only thing about Malcolm. You know, he is as solid as it gets. And you could even argue he might even just, you know, flat out start games, you know, for the Celtics. Um, I don't know. You know, if if uh, I don't know if you can do Brogdon and and, uh, and Smart at the same time, but it's definitely an option. You know, they definitely have the versatility, right? But they are undersized, you know? So I liked seeing the defense, the way they were playing it. Um, the Celtics were really uh, getting making trouble for Embiid. Now, I want to say this, right? Uh, to start the game and throughout the game, I'm, I'm thinking, man, Embiid doesn't look good. Like, he, he doesn't look happy. Something's bothering him. He looks like like, out of it, like, he doesn't really want to play, it was really weird, like, obviously, you look at the stats, and you're like, oh, wow, 26 and 15, right, 26 points, 15 rebounds, uh, it was the most empty 26 and 15 since DeMarcus Cousins for the Kings, right, like, if, if you know what I mean, like, dominant numbers, but you didn't really, it was just kind of like, a, you didn't really notice that Embiid was 26 and 15, that kind of happened to me as I was watching this game. Like, at the end of the game, I'm thinking, oh, wow, this dude logged 26 and 15. But, like, again, it was just, he looked uninterested. He didn't look good. He looked slow-footed. You know, he he definitely struggled, too, which is crazy. I mean, this is how good Joel Embiid is, is he didn't look good. He looked slow-footed and out of it, and he drops 26 and 15. Like, this guy is just a stat machine, right? So... Um, Embiid obviously such a great player, but I don't know, something was off about him and I don't know really what it was. It was just an unimpactful 26 and 15, like as unimpactful as you could see. Um, now without getting too ahead of myself, you know, the Celtics, obviously an undersized team, uh, Horford kind of like, you know, foul trouble, uh, struggling, didn't have a great game. And so, you know, they're gonna, I'm thinking Embiid's gonna eat this game, and he did statistically, but he did struggle against Boston's defensive schemes. They were doubling Embiid off the catch pretty much the entire game, you know, making it really hard for him to get things done. You know, he was forced into bad shots. He was forced into uh, losing the ball, making bad passes, uh, you know, sketchy passes that didn't end up turnovers, but easily could have been, you know, like poked away type thing. Um, you know, it, it was an uncomfortable 26 and 15 for Embiid. You know, Harden looked really good, right? But I'm going to say this, and I don't see a lot of people talking about this. Yes, he looks in shape. You know, even my fiance, while we're watching the game, she tells me, you know, Harden looks better. You know, he looks in shape, like he looks more in shape. You know, it's crazy. My fiance that doesn't even watch basketball can tell that he does look more in shape. You know, he looked better, right? And you know, obviously everyone agrees he looks better. Um, the stats were crazy, um, but I'm going to say this, guys. He broke a lot of ankles, right? He was crossing people up. Like, he was, he was like, I still say he was struggling to get separation, though. Like, a lot of the shots he made were super contested, like heavily contested. Just, he was smothered by the defense in a lot of those shots that he made, like, it was one of those nights where he was just, the shots were falling, right? And and I don't know 
if if that kind of thing is sustainable for James because it, it kind of went back to the offense was stagnant. He's ISO, you know, keeping that dribble for a long time and then getting into a shot. Now, obviously the shot went in, so the stats look really good. By the way, his passing was awesome, right? He was attacking, he was making the right passes, um, but he wasn't playing defense, which is something we know, right? Like just flat out in pick and roll, just like, ah, you know, kind of giving up open shot after open shot after open shot. And when Harden's doing that, it's going to trickle down along some of the other players. And a lot of other people are going to take in that laziness defensively, right? So, and that's kind of what happened. There was a lot of plays where the Sixers would turn the ball over or not score, right? Like miss a field goal attempt and then not get back on the other end. There was a lot of open threes, open looks, easy layups, just like giving up on defense and, you know, a lot of people are low on the Sixers because they think this is just going to be a run back of a hardened season where the stats are crazy and then the stagnant offense and 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 the nights where he's not going to knock down shots is where he's just going to be useless out there aside from playmaking, right? That's the good thing about Harden. If the shot's not falling, he's still relevant in terms of playmaking, right? He makes good passes. He puts pressure on the defense when he attacks. He's, you know, a big body out there, you know, in, in terms of he can take contact and, and get to the free throw line. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that, that I'm going to say, you know, the shot was falling, but the shot, but the looks weren't good, you know. They were, they were tough looks. You know, that was a night where he was just really hot and it could have easily gone the other way for him. You know, a lot of those shots were out of control. He just and one threes, um, just, you know, just crazy shots that you would see from his MVP season and other seasons. Um, so, you know, maybe I'm hating and maybe I'm, I'm just thinking it's not sustainable, but clearly I'm not the only person that thinks that, you know, TNT, obviously TNT is back, uh, which is awesome. You know, Charles Barkley talking about, you know, the dribblers back to life. <laughs> You know, James Harden being the the dribbler that he is, you know, kind of like making the offense stagnant and things like that. Um, but yeah, you know, Doc Rivers uh, had an interview courtside with Chris Haynes during the game. And he talks about just pushing the idea of letting Harden do Harden things and just letting him be comfortable making the decisions. And I'm going to tell you this. I think you have to be that way when you're Doc Rivers because you need someone other than Embiid. To show life, right? Like Tyrese Maxey's that guy, and I'm gonna talk to I'm gonna t- talk to him. I'm gonna talk about him in a second here, but you know that's really important that Doc Rivers is pushing for James Harden to be himself. Um, you know, because that's a guy that's really important to this team. And I'm gonna say this, you know, for as much as he wants Harden to be Harden, not a lot of pick and roll with Embiid. Like why, why are they not running pick and roll with Harden and Embiid as much as they should be? That's what I'm thinking. Like, I, I maybe they did run it a decent amount, but I feel like it should have been way more. That's a pick and roll that's deadly because what do you do? Embiid can shoot. Harden can shoot. Embiid can get fouled and, and make free throws. Harden can get fouled and make free throws. It's a it's a hard decision to make as a, as a team on defense when you're guarding a Harden-Embiid pick and roll. So I want to see more Harden-Embiid pick and rolls. But, you know, uh, side note... Uh, Tobias Harris, right? I've talked about him a little bit on this pod. Um, it's, you know, it's the first half, right? The first half ends. 
And I'm thinking, wow, you know, if this is the Tobias Harris that the Sixers are going to have all year, then trading him is a mistake. But remember, I always say it's about the consistency with him, not his ability. We know he's a good player. There's a reason he has the contract he has. But then it's the fourth quarter with 47 seconds left. And I realize, wait, 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 he hasn't scored in the entire second half until there was like 47 seconds left in the fourth quarter, which is exactly the issue with Tobias Harris and why I talked about maybe you're better off thinking about moving him because this is a guy, big salary, big money. He goes through two quarters where he's scoring. He looks great, you know, no hesitation, just making his shots. He looked awesome in the first half. And then you don't see him do anything until 47 seconds left when the game's over. Right, He kind of padded a couple of stats at the end of that game. So whatever points you see for Tobias Harris on the stat sheet, take away like a good six, maybe eight, you know, because a lot of those were garbage time points. Like the game didn't matter anymore. Um, and so, you know, that's my issue with Tobias Harris. So keep an eye out for that, you know, because if he keeps having nights like that where he just disappears randomly and that's, that's definitely a knock on Tobias Harris, uh, they could move him. You know, uh, but yeah, I want to move on to the last piece about these Sixers, right? Um, you know, uh, Tyrese Maxey, right? He had some buckets here and there during the game, but it was the fourth quarter where they really started letting him run offense, right? Pick and roll action with Embiid, uh, just taking the first attempts, uh, just kind of like just giving him the ball and letting Maxey cook, right? He came out on fire. Right, the Sixers defense was awful, um, you know, but but he came out balling, you know. Maxi really pushes the tempo for this team, and look for that to be more of a focus, you know. I know that in training camp you saw Doc Rivers mic'd up, and you know you see the things that Doc Rivers Doc Rivers supports Tyrese Maxi, and you know he wants him to do more and be more. I don't know if it's Tyrese Maxey taking a backseat to start the games and things like that, but but Maxey has to be that guy a little more, right? For this team to really have that spark, right? Because because they can be stagnant and Maxey can can up the tempo with this team, right? That's really good for them. Um, side note, you know there was a uh, like a crazy uh, situation between Embiid and Marcus Smart. Not insane, but you know Marcus Smart's arm gets caught in Embiid's arm, right? Like under it, and Embiid kind of rips. Like he could have really torn Marcus Smart's shoulder with that kind of rip. And the foul was already called. Embiid was just kind of, I don't know, he was he looked like he was just pissed throughout the night in a bad mood. You can look into that uh, little debacle between the two guys. You know, I'm not going to get too much into that because there's a lot to talk about, and I'm sure that's made all over, that's all over media now. Um, but yeah, you know, it's kind of side note, you know, the rivalry between, you know, the historic rivalry of the Celtics Sixers already kind of taking a spotlight <laughs> here in the East, right? Um, but yeah, it was an awesome game. Uh, Jason Tatum was awesome to start. Jalen Brown to start the season. These guys look awesome. The team looks good. I'm not liking my over-under prediction so far after one game. But, you know, that was a good game. I want to move on to the, you know, the Lakers, that, that team that plays in Los Angeles, uh, my favorite team since 2002, although 
this is it's already looking like a disaster, but let's go ahead and get into that one. So obviously it's ring night for the Warriors, right? Everyone's hyped. Team looks like they're in sync. This looks like a run it back season. Everyone's back. A couple of missing pieces, but for the most part, very similar roster. It's a, it's definitely run back energy, you know, things like that. Things are looking really good for these Warriors. Um, they look like they're picking up right where they left off. You know, I want to start with, obviously, the purple and gold elephant in the room, right? The Lakers, okay? This is game one of 82, okay? Uh, but I'm looking at the starting lineup for this team. Immediate red flag. Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker, to support LeBron and AD? Really? That's Those are the three guys you're running in the backcourt. Slash wing. Russ, Pat, and Lonnie Walker. Really? Where is the spacing? Where is the, the size? Where? It's just, that is a mess. Are they tanking for Victor Wembenyama? I'm, I'm obviously trolling, but... What the heck was that, man? Like, what are they? What are they thinking, man? Because Darvin Ham clearly said before, on a quote that I read, that Austin Reeves is is what he's gonna experiment starting. He didn't get the start. I don't. I don't understand this type of lineup because, okay, you can argue Pat Beverly and Lonnie Walker, good defenders. Anthony Davis, obviously a defender. LeBron, you know, he can defend when he wants. He's a size, obviously. You know, body guy, obviously he can guard multiple positions. Not at an elite level anymore, but he can he can hold his ground. But where's the shooting, though? Like, the spacing was so, so bad. It was so tight. In the lanes, there was... I mean, they couldn't even make passes without, without just... Without high difficulty, right? Like, Anthony Davis looked awesome, as expected. He talked about wanting to to spoil ring night for the Warriors. You know, LeBron put up good numbers. I'm just, I'm I'm just not understanding why you would start. I mean, I understand starting Russ, you know, because obviously the money and the rumors and you know whatever it is that's going on with with them not wanting to bench Russ right off the bat because of morale and energy and, you know, the, the headlines are crazy with the Lakers right now with Russell Westbrook. So I understand starting Russ right now. You know, uh, starting Russ, obviously LeBron and AD. But if you're starting Russ, I told you guys before that Darvin Ham has already talked about running lineups with Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook. So that was also expected to be in the backcourt, right? Patrick Beverly and Russ. But you can't put Lonnie Walker in there with those two guys. You just can't. You can't have a third non-shooting defensive guy alongside LeBron and AD. You can't have three of those guys. It's a mess. It's a disaster. It's, yes, you're going to be able to defend a little better than in the past, but where is the spacing going to be? They're going to be able to double AD, double LeBron, make it hard for these guys. And then when they kick it out, Guys are wide open, yes, because they can't hit shots. And I'm going to play you a clip of LeBron already after one game in a post-game press conference 
talking about that exact issue of shooting, which is something I've been talking about many times on this pod. But let me go ahead and play it for you guys that haven't heard it already. Uh, again, this is LeBron already talking about the issues after game one of 82 in an NBA regular season. But, you know, in six or seven games, you guys have, have struggled to shoot the basketball from three-point land. Um, are, are, are the looks good enough that you're confident that this is going to, I guess, progress to the mean maybe more, and that this is just a little bit of an anomaly? Have the, have the looks been that good? Um, I mean, I don't know. Um, I think we're getting great looks, I think. Um, but it also could be teams giving us great looks. I mean, if you... Be completely honest, we're not a team that's constructed of, of great shooting. And that's just the, the truth of the matter is, it's not like, you know, we're sitting here with uh, a lot of lasers on our team. So, you know, but that doesn't deter us from still trying to get great shots. And when we get those opportunities, you take them. But we're not sitting here with a bunch of 40 plus career three point shooting guys. So obviously you heard LeBron, you know, basically <laughs> basically throwing the you know the people that run the franchise under the bus right Rob Palinka, Genie Bus, everyone that basically has a say in the roster construction right kind of throwing the players on the roster under the bus in a way you know um just base but but he's just being real about it right uh, we know the problem with the Lakers it's no it's not news it's not something of me going out on a limb Everyone and their mom is talking about the shooting problem. You know, that's why when my friends um, and my family that knows I'm a Laker fan, when they ask me, what do I think about the Lakers? And you guys have heard my guests come on, uh, some of the guests come on the pod and they ask me, you know, how I feel about my Lakers and or how I feel about the Lakers. I always give the same response like, you know, they should be a playoff team because of Anthony Davis and LeBron um, and with those guys healthy your chances are good to make the playoffs, in my opinion. But I always say the same thing. You know, the issue remains the same. The shooting, right? The defense looks to be something they kind of targeted, but the shooting is a big concern because this is an NBA where shooting, you know, pace and space is what runs the NBA nowadays. So if you're going to be a defensive team, you better you better lock down. To, to the point where, you know, where you can kind of stay competitive offensively, but this is a team that can't keep up with other teams shooting, you know. Uh, every team is is running and gunning, right? Running up and down the floor and just chucking up shots and chucking up shots, and they're going to outscore the Lakers. You know, that's a problem. So that's what I'm saying. So, like, that's why when when I'm evaluating these Lakers on a couple of other pods, and I'm thinking about, okay, they've addressed defense, but but the shooting is a problem. I, I've said it before. I would rather these guys flat out ignore defense and just try to outscore opponents because I think that that game is probably easier to play than to lie to yourself into thinking you're going to lock all these teams down, right? Because it's just, you can't, you can't lock teams down these days, right? Um, teams get hot no matter what. Uh, the offenses are are more exotic, you know. Players are better. The teams are deeper. It's it's really hard to say you're gonna lock down, you know, in an 82 game season in the playoffs, and then also try to keep up offensively, 
You know, it's not easy. You know, that's why a lot of these teams are deep and they can shoot and they can somewhat defend, right? So it's like a nice little balance, right? Um, it's it's not teams lying to themselves about, we're just going to be a lockdown defensive team and we'll chalk it up to trying to lock everyone up, right? Um, teams are, are addressing the shooting, you know, in some way or form, right? And so whatever. So anyways, I'm going to read you these stats, right? Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, and Lonnie Walker, right? These were the three guys that started alongside uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron, right? Uh, Three-point percentage, right? For a career, okay? For uh, Patrick Beverly, 37.7%, right? That's career three-point percentage. Uh, Russell Westbrook, for his career, three-point percentage, 30.5%, right? Lonnie Walker, for a career, 34.2%. So you know where I'm going with this, right? It's why are we, why are the Lakers putting these guys out there, right? I understand the Russell and and Patrick Beverly experiment is taking place because that's what Darvin Ham wants. So off the bat, I know those two guys are going to be in the lineup. But again, why are we putting, why are the Lakers putting Lonnie Walker? Why? Uh, 6-4? Uh, playing the three? Or, or, you know, whatever it was, Patrick Beverly at the three, whatever that mix was, that's very small, you know. And it's not even the height that I'm really that concerned about. That's a different problem as well. But just the shooting, right? Like, like just the shooting. You're surrounding these two guys that need space to operate. LeBron has won championships over and over and over with spacing surrounding him right? That is the key to success with LeBron on the court. And especially if you have LeBron and Anthony Davis, right? So, you know, those are just some things that I, that I wanted to talk about regarding the starting lineup for the Lakers. Now I'm going to say this, you know, you see plays Juan Toscano Anderson showing energy, diving on the floor. Uh, you know, this team is definitely, you know, having some pride defensively, but again, it's, it's, it's the offense, where, you know, and I don't want to keep beating a dead horse with that topic because it's it's been something I've talked about countless times and I'm frankly just tired of talking about that. You know, um, obviously the Lakers have that problem on their hands. Now, the Warriors, the over-under bet <laughs> that I made saying the Warriors might not be as great as they were last season or as good and that they might not win it again, I'm still, I'm still keeping that prediction. I don't care. I know it's only been a game and I'm thinking about things like that, but, you know, obviously this is a team that that looks like they're picking up where they left off, so who knows, you know, and the worst part about this is that the Lakers shot horribly as expected, but so did the Warriors, right, and the Warriors still smacked the Lakers, so, you know, tonight, uh, which is, obviously I'm recording this today, tonight, uh, the Lakers are going to play the Clippers, right, so this is looking like, I mean, the Lakers are going to be making headlines over and over, and this Westbrook situation, if the Lakers lose tonight, which I expect them to, uh, because I just think the Clippers are way better than them, um, you know, I, if the Lakers lose tonight, yes, it's game two of a bunch of things, but of a bunch of games, but we can't keep saying that, right? Like, yes, it's game two, but they're 0-1 already, right? If they start 0-2, the, the, just the, the, the Laker dumpster fire posts and headlines are going to just continue to snowball. And it's going to get hectic and, and Rob Pelinka is going to get more, more desperate. You know, the team's going to get desperate. The turmoil is beginning already. You can kind of 
feel that tension already, right? And it's crazy to think that after one game, but this is snowballing into something worse. You know, that's what I wanted to talk about. It just, there's really nothing else to mention, right? When it comes to that. So I want to go into uh, one of these things that I, that I did want to talk about. Uh, Miami Heat versus the Chicago Bulls, right? Uh, one of my best friends uh, went to the game last night, went to the Heat game. Um, and I told him, hey, you know, there's this dude that you should definitely keep your eyes out for. Plays for the Bulls. Um, you know, uh, Ayo Dosunmu, right? Let me pull up that text so I can see exactly what what it was that I texted him. Yeah, Ayo Dosunmu, year two, Chicago local kid playing for the Bulls. Awesome story, and he's solid, right? That's all I sent him. Um, and I also gave him a call and let him know, you know, that's a guy you kind of want to look out for. Uh, rising dude, you know, I don't know what he's going to become, but he definitely looks like a solid player. Um, and again, like I said, it's his second year. Had a big game. Uh, you know, last night it was it was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I'm not gonna say it's a marquee matchup between the Bulls and the Heat, um, but it was interesting to see how the Heat start the season or how the Bulls look without Lonzo Ball. You know, because that's a big loss for them as well. And the Bulls looked really good. Um, but I'm gonna get into something that I wanted to talk about on the Heat side of things as well, right? So Tyler Hero starts this game. And I posted on Instagram last night during the game. And I was saying, I don't have the post next to me right now. I don't have my phone. I actually put it to the side just now. But uh, basically, I was saying that Tyler Hero needs to be starting games uh, despite the defensive liability, right? Because we know why the Heat don't start Tyler Hero um, or why they haven't in the past. You know, they're they're really focused on still keeping that defensive identity. Tyler Hero is a big liability when it comes to that. And he has been streaky at times. Obviously, he won the Sixth Man of the Year award, but clearly he is too good to come off the bench. He is His offense is a massive problem solver, right? Even if he's not knocking down shots, he is kind of just a body out there because he's not going to defend. Um, but he does put pressure on the defense, you know, and he ups the pace for the heat. That's another thing I, I mentioned on my post. This is a guy that pushes the tempo, right? He really causes problems for teams on defense because even if he's not hitting shots, there he has to be guarded because we're aware he is a sharpshooter, right? And he is not shy about shooting. So that's a threat in itself, right? And he likes to attack the basket and he finishes pretty damn well around the hoop with contact. So, you know, and he knocks down free throws. So this is a dude that, in my opinion, I think that we're seeing the decline of Kyle Lowry. It's just one game, you know, um, and I was defending Kyle Lowry last year, but I do want to also say that, yes, you know, 36 years old, six foot, if that, um, you know, those undersized guards don't age well, right? And, you know, Kyle Lowry, yes, he is a pest on defense. Like, he's not like a lockdown defender, but he causes problems, right? He draws charges. He makes players think twice before attacking the basket if he's anywhere near. He's a known flopper. Let's keep it 100 on this pod. He's a known flopper. He's a master at that art. Um, you know, just a thorn on the side of opposing coaches and players, right? So, yes, he has value. He can run a team. Uh, he can knock down shots. You know, he's hot and cold, but he can knock down shots. He's not afraid to attack the basket. He can knock down free throws, and he's a vet, right? Proven champion. But 
my theory is they should just let Kyle Lowry run the second unit, right? Bring Tyler Hero, and I know what I know what people are gonna say. Well, you know who would run offense, right? Like who's who's playing at the one and kind of like holding the ball, right? Like protecting the ball, being that point guard that they that they do kind of need as well. That's another argument, right? Like, what would the Heat do in that case? Because then who is holding the ball, right? Like, who has that responsibility of running offense? I'm not going to sit here and tell you Tyler Hero does that. Um, but in my opinion, I kind of don't like the the height weakness when you have Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry in the backcourt, right? Now, I will say this. If Kyle Lowry is hot that night and Tyler Hero is hot that night, that starting backcourt is is a huge problem for teams. But I just think that Tyler Hero for sure needs to be a starter, right? That's whether Kyle Lowry's in that starting lineup or not. This is a guy that they have to figure out how to hide him defensively, even if that's a burden or if it's really challenging to hide Tyler Hero defensively. They have to just put him out there as a starter and, and just figure out the rest, right? Because he's that good. That's my side note on Tyler Hero. Okay, for any Heat fans out there, and I do have a lot of uh, Heat fan friends, right? <laughs> I think most of my friends are actually Heat fans. So, uh, you know, that's just my take, right? Uh, the Heat should just keep Tyler Hero as a starter and figure out how they're going to hide him defensively and figure out all the other schemes. Um, you know, uh, side note also about this game. Bam Adebayo was really bad, okay? Uh, really bad game for Bam. Um, I did see him kind of trying to take shots, right? But they weren't falling. He was actually missing, you know, really easy points. He just didn't have it that game, right? Last night, he just didn't have it. And it happens, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but I want to go into a theory that I haven't mentioned on this pod, right? This is a theory I've had for a while about Bam Adebayo. Really good at the five slash four, wherever they're putting him. Um, obviously, he's not a traditional center, but he is good against modern centers, right? Like like the undersized fives that are in the NBA. He struggles against traditional centers. He really does. And I'm not talking about like like uh, defensive only centers, right? Like only only shot blocking rim protectors. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about traditional offensive centers, which are very scarce nowadays, like ones that can really play in the post. You know, we have a few, right? I can't name a lot of them off the top of my head, but the first ones that come to mind are, you know, Embiid has really come out, right, to to, to shoot a lot of jumpers and fadeaways and step backs and things like that. But Embiid can definitely score in the post. So I guess I can put Embiid in that, in that somewhat traditional slash modern center, right? Um, jo uh, Nikola jo Jokic, right? Nikola Jokic. To me, more on the traditional center side, but he obviously does come out and shoot uh, occasionally. You know, likes the mid-range, things like that, but he definitely scores in the post. Uh, a player like that, uh, or obviously tonight was the prime example, Nikola Vucevic, right? He has modernized, right? He comes out and he can kind of shoot threes and stretch the floor a little bit, but Vucevic is a really good post scorer, right? And I've noticed over time of watching these traditional center matchups with Bam, it is a struggle for Bam, right? And he is, in my opinion, going to win Defensive Player of the Year. I think it's time for Bam to win that. 
Uh, but that's just my opinion when it comes to traditional centers, right? They they kind of have their way with him in the post, you know. Uh, just something that I wanted to throw out there. Um, you know, obviously Bam is not forced to see those types of centers nowadays, right? There's only a few. So, you know, he really does have his way with a lot of the opposing teams. But yeah, when it comes to those like rare uh, traditional center matchups, he, he does struggle a little. You know, he may get some of his numbers, but I do notice that it is a little bit of a struggle. Uh, but anyways, not to go too much on a tangent there. I want to give a little piece, right? Uh, I made a post on Instagram as well on the account. Um, and that was DeMar DeRozan against the Miami Heat. Right? Let me read the stat line. 14 for 22 from the field, which is 63% from the field. Two for three from three, 66% from three, seven for 11 from the free throw line. So he missed a few of them. Um, you know, six rebounds, nine assists, two steals, a block. So let me read you the total points, obviously. 37 points, right? With a block, two steals, nine assists, six rebounds. So massive game for DeMar DeRozan. Picking up right where he left off last season, right? A guy that was in the MVP conversation, but I'm not bringing him up just because of, you know, just talking about last season. I just want to bring something up that I posted last night. So a lot of times we have these conversations and theoretical matchups where we say, oh, how would this player play in today's NBA, right? Like, oh, what would Jordan do in today's NBA? What would Kobe do in, in the 2020s of the NBA, right? Um, what would you know, uh, Carmelo, like a prime Carmelo Anthony do in today's NBA. Players like Tracy McGrady, you know, people that really operated in the mid-range, right? And all the people that I named were traditional shooting guards or a traditional small forward, right? And we always have that conversation, right? Like, you hear it all the time. Like, what would these guys do today? And DeMar DeRozan, to me... Not at the level of Kobe, Carmelo, uh, you know, Jordan, Tracy McGrady, in my opinion. Not at the level of those guys. But he is so elite in the mid-range with the, with the pump fakes, just killing you with pump fake after pump fake. He is so good on those and ones, like just taking contact and, and actually converting on those shots before the free throws. You know, he makes the free throws. He's got the fadeaway. He's got good footwork. Just, you know, he's an athlete, so obviously he can also put you guys on posters. DeMar DeRozan is awesome, but what I want to say is, is that, right? Like, DeMar DeRozan paints a picture of what these traditional two guards would be doing if they played in today's NBA, right? Like, that's what I love the most about DeMar DeRozan, and I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that on this episode because we have those conversations all the time, and here we have a guy, anti-analytics, you know, majority of his points are in the mid-range, doesn't shoot a lot of threes. He can definitely shoot the threes, but he doesn't take a lot of threes. He's, he makes his money in the mid-range, right? Attacking the basket as well, but this is... This is what happens when you grab a throwback two guard and put him in the modern NBA. They dominate anyways. You know, DeMar DeRozan, not even being at the level of a Kobe or those other guys I named, but dominating teams like this, um, you want to say, you know, the success isn't in the playoffs and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ability to dominate. 
in an NBA game where where the three is just prominent, right? It's like it's the go-to shot these days. But DeMar DeRozan reminds us, he reminds all of us that the mid-range, you know, and obviously, you know, Kevin Durant has the mid-range, you know, Kawhi Leonard. We've got guys in the NBA that that operate a lot in the mid-range. So I don't want to say DeMar DeRozan is the only guy. Um, but, you know, these these types of players, they they show you that the mid-range game is super important. Now, especially when it's playoff time and and you have to play half-court offense, right? You have to generate a bucket, creating it for yourself where the threes are getting taken away, right? Those things are super important no matter what era of basketball you're in, right? Um, you have to be able to knock down a mid-range shot at times. You know, it, making difficult shots is very highly valued in the NBA. It always has been, and that's something that will always be, right? Um, I just wanted to talk about that for a second. You know, uh, just one thing that really stood out to me, watching DeRozan just cook uh, the heat. It was it was awesome. It was, you know, I'm going to say this about DeRozan. When I watch him, like pump a defender out of position, like on his third pump fake or fourth pump fake, and then the defender lands on him and he hits the end one, like he he actually converts on the shot after he gets fouled. It reminds me a lot of Kobe. You know, not saying DeMar DeRozan is Kobe. Kobe is my favorite player of all time. I'm not comparing him to Kobe in that sense, like, oh, he's just as good, but really reminds me of Kobe, the footwork in the mid-range, just, you know, it's, he is one of those few, you know, with, the, with, with, that'll pump you to death, right, pump you to sleep, you know, um, if you don't jump, he's knocking it down, if you jump, he's knocking it down in your face, if you jump and foul him, he's converting it, you know, for any Heat fans out there, or anyone out there that was watching this game, that, that thought that it was just a hot night for DeRozan, he was in the MVP conversation last season for a reason. This is a guy that cooks, you know. Uh, he was playing for the Spurs, and that's why people didn't really... They thought that DeRozan all of a sudden had a hot year last year. No, no, no. He was just in a bigger market and on a good team, right, on the Bulls. So, you know, that's my two pieces on DeRozan or three pieces or whatever, you know. Just my thoughts on DeRozan, my thoughts on the Heat-Bulls game, on the Heat outlook, um, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Sixers, the Warriors. Um, but yeah, you know, this was a, a pretty good episode. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed the first episode of the regular season. I'm going to be watching the next two games tonight, which will be 7.30 p.m. Eastern time, Milwaukee against the Sixers. The Sixers looking for redemption uh, to win a game in the regular season here after losing their opener. Milwaukee looking to start the season off hot. I can't wait to watch Giannis, to be honest. Uh, oh, that kind of rhymed. Giannis, to be honest, but yeah, and the Clippers, Lakers, right? The the disaster of the Lakers continues to snowball, right? We'll see what happens with that. I'm hearing that Kawhi Leonard is probably going to come off the bench, uh, load management master, right? Um, you know, <laughs> already starting game one, uh, but yeah, you know, it's going to be awesome. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. This is the All Things Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Vic Lopez, as always. And I'll catch you guys on the next one.